0: Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Cal Thomas, on how God has guided his decades-long journalistic career and what inspires him to keep going.
1: Well, there's a wonderful line in that uh, movie, Chariots of Fire, which was the Best Picture award winner in 1981, uh, where uh, the character playing Eric Little says uh, to his sister, Jenny, I believe God made me for a purpose, for China as a missionary, but he also made me fast. When I run, I feel his pleasure. To do something, to live in a way that makes you feel God's pleasure is the greatest experience one can have on this earth. And that is why what I try to do, I don't always do it well. Uh, I am a sinner still, but pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day. But uh, when I feel God's pleasure for something I've done, then that is uh, really the greatest experience a human being can have on this earth.
0: Cal Thomas, next. For decades now, through radio, TV, and his widely read newspaper column, Cal Thomas has offered incisive, humorous, and often corrective commentary to our social, political, and religious conversations. He's known for having friends on both sides of the political aisle and for being outspoken about his Christian faith. He's written 12 books. His newest is A Watchman in the Night, what I've seen over 50 years reporting on America. Cal, would you give us an overview of your journalism career and what attracted you to that field?
1: Well, I initially wanted to go into show business. I love musical comedy. Now so much of the news has become show business, so I've arrived. (laughs) Right. I started in radio when I was 16 years old uh, at a suburban Washington, D.C. radio station as a disc jockey, playing records and uh, reading the news off the wire services. Then I got a job as a copy boy uh, at NBC News in Washington when I was about 18 or 19. And that's what really solidified my uh, love for the news business. I was surrounded by real journalists at the time, uh, men and later women who came from uh, newspapers and wire services and really knew how to write. And they were uh, they were my mentors, uh, probably the most famous among them will be known to uh, older listeners, uh, David Brinkley, who famously said, it is impossible for us to be objective, so we must try to be fair. I always love that line because everybody has a worldview, a mm. point of view. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and to be fair is uh, the highest calling of journalism. But that's gone out the window now where everything is uh, seen through the prism of secular progressism. Uh, un- unfortunately, and, and begins with a narrative that, uh, you know, Republicans and conservatives are bad, Christians are trying to take over the country and and create a theocracy, and they constantly look for the extremes that uh, ratify their prejudices, and it's really unfortunate. So I've been trying to fight against that for the last 40 years, and I picked the uh, title, A Watchman of the Night, from the Old Testament, where the ancient Israelites put a watchman on the wall to look out for invading armies, and we're being invaded, not by an actual army, but by uh, ideas and behavior patterns uh, that God has called an abomination. So uh, things aren't looking too well for the country at the moment.
0: Well, Kel, how did you, as a broadcast journalist initially, move to being a print columnist and particularly one that's conservative? I mean, there are not many of those in such a oh. environment. <laughs>
1: Well, I think one of the reasons for that is that uh, we have a self-defeating attitude that uh, the media are hostile to our worldview, and therefore I'll go into something else. Well, that just creates a vacuum in which uh, the secular progressives are more than happy to, uh, to invade. Uh, I took a different uh, view. I thought, uh, you know, if God was calling me to this, he would open the doors, and he did. Uh, I wrote a book in 1983 called Book Burning About Censorship from the Left. 1983 was the 50th anniversary of the Nazi book burning in Berlin. Mm. And the media were full of stories of supposed right-wingers, religious fanatics, trying to ban books and all of this other stuff. So my book was about censorship from the left. And uh, I'd never written a newspaper column. As you suggested, all of my background was in broadcast. So I said, well, maybe I'll just write a column. And I did, and I sent it off to what I thought would be the least likely paper in the country to print it, the New York Times. Mm. And they did print it, and they got a ton of mail, mostly negative. And then I wrote another one for the Washington Post, and they printed that. I wrote another one for the LA Times, and they printed that. And I said, Lord, what's going on here? This is ruining my talk on the biased media. (laughs) But I collected all of these, sent them around to various syndicates, and they all turned me down. Then I remembered a man I'd met when he was a White House fellow in the Lyndon Johnson administration. His name is Tom Johnson, and he kindly did the introduction for this book, The Watchman of the Night, he was then the publisher of the L.A. Times, and he said, uh, well, you may be right that there's a lack of good uh, conservative commentary next time you're out here. Let us know. I'll set up a meeting with our syndicate people. So I prayed about it, and I asked God to do a greater miracle than Moses parting the Red Sea. I asked him to part, part the liberal mind, and I went to lunch with the two top decision makers at the L.A. Times syndicate. And uh, one of them asked me, I said, hey, uh, I hear you're a Christian, are, are you? And I said, oh, boy, now what do I do? and maybe remembering my prayer that morning about uh, how I would honor God if he gave me this opportunity, I said yes and spent about a minute or two telling them how Jesus Christ had changed my life. Mm -hmm. Immediately, he turned to the other person there at the lunch table and said, uh, isn't so-and-so leaving us in uh, April? And she said, yes, I'd forgotten. And he said, can you do two columns a week for us beginning April 17th? And uh, I really believe that uh, in that verse I have on the back of my watch, First uh, Samuel 2.30, He who honors me, I will honor. And I've, I've tried to honor God with my gift and my testimony for my media colleagues and others. And I think that's why he's allowed me to uh, be successful in this realm.
0: Mm. What is the goal or the mission of your column? Well, I always begin
1: with the uh, belief in a standard. You know, we have courts and pounds and inches and feet. These are standards for measurement and uh, i don't know of anybody who goes to the grocery store and picks up two gallon jugs of milk and tells the checkout person i only want to pay for one because this is my standard uh, <laughs> and the, we have we have standards that work we have relational standards we have economic standards look at this nearly 32 trillion dollar debt we have now no nation has ever been able to survive with this kind of debt or open borders or the loss of a shared moral sense. And all of those things have invaded us. And what I try to do in my column, not every one, but I've you know, written over 4,000 over these almost 40 years, mm. is to remind people that a standard exists and that when embraced, the standard works. I often quote the late uh, Roman Catholic bishop uh, Fulton J. Sheen, who said more than 50 years ago, imagine what he'd say today America is not overrun by the bigoted. America is overrun by the broad-minded. Mm. Anything goes now, and you see the inroads made by the LGBTQ plus crowd in virtually every area of culture, and this is what happens to a nation that forgets God. You know, God is giving us over, I think, and that's one of the saddest verses in Scripture.
0: Well, my guest is uh, Mr. Cal Thomas, and uh, he's a longtime uh, columnist. Uh, his syndicated column, has run since 1984, and we're talking about his new book, *A Watchman in the Night*. What I've seen over 50 years reporting on America, uh, Cal, your 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 book uh, really is—I think you call it a, a a road trip or a journey. Really, very concise, very fast-moving, from 1984 really till mid to late last year. What do you hope readers will take away after after reading it?
1: Well, several things, uh, Bill. I think, uh, first of all, as I indicated earlier, that uh, no area of life ought to be considered out of bounds for the believer. I mean, if God is on our side, who can be against us? Mm-hmm. But we have to know, in in my case, we have to know what they know. We have to join their groups. Uh, we have to show that we are not crazy, uh, froth-at-the-mouth fanatics, And uh, I think we do this by uh, uh, getting in the door. I tell young people, uh, prospective journalism students, get in the door, do anything, whatever it is. You can't do anything for the parking lot. Get in the door and then have a servant spirit. People will ask you why you are the way you are and after you've demonstrated uh, the love of Christ to them, uh, then uh, you can give them the verbal reason for uh, your faith. But uh, it, it's difficult. Uh, you have to pay a certain price socially. I don't get invited and haven't gotten invited to many social events in Washington over the years, but that's okay because I've been invited to the ultimate banquet. And uh, that's going to be a lot more fun, I think.
0: Kelly, as you have in this conversation and throughout your career, you've been very outspoken about the foundation of your moral compass, your worldview, which is your Christian faith. How did you come to Christ?
1: Same way everybody else does, by the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. That's that's Mm -hmm. the short answer. Well, I I had uh, been directed to uh, a church in Bethesda, Maryland, called Fourth Presbyterian, an Evangelical Presbyterian Church. And I mean, I'd always, growing up, my parents took me to church, but there was no Bible reading in the home. I don't even recall grace before dinner. And um, it wasn't that they were hostile. It it was just that Mm -hmm. that's the way they did things and you go to an hour of church, and the rest of the day and the rest of the week, you were on your own. So um I was feeling a certain emptiness in my life. Um, I was on this fast track to be a big journalism star at NBC, and somebody recommended uh, we go to check out Fourth Presbyterian Church, and the pastor at the time was Dick Halverson, who went on to become a chaplain of the U.S. Senate. Mm-hmm. But uh he invited me to a Bible study which he led, and uh, I had never seriously read the Bible. I mean, my grandfather offered me a silver dollar when I was twelve years old if I'd memorized the twenty-third Psalm, and that was the last time I uh, <laughs> ever did any serious Bible study. But he was reading from a New Living Translation, and it really pierced my heart. And I said, "I got to get me one of those and, and read it." And mm-hmm. uh, this is a very long story, which I won't. Uh, That's fine. You know, but but on the on the night. Uh, On the day I was fired at NBC in 1973, my wife said, you know, you'll never be free of this burden to be a success until you thank God for losing your job, because my job had become my God. You know, we all have our gods, whether it's the real one or a fake one, we all worship something or put our faith and trust in something. And so that night I committed my life to Christ. And for the next 11 years, uh, God put me in the desert, but he was working things out of me so he could work things in me, because he knew I he had a better plan for my life than I had that would not only glorify him, but would uh, would be of great pleasure to me. So I give him all the credit and glory. Yes, I have the talent. That's from him as well. I work hard, but uh, he is responsible for uh, who and what I've become. Mm. The good parts, anyway. The, the bad parts are my fault.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, who are the greatest influences in your Christian faith, uh, your Christian life? Of course, you've uh, Pastor Halverson, Chaplain Halverson, but... Uh...
1: Yeah, there's a man in Houston where I live. there. Uh, that, you know, it's amazing how God directs you in things, even in places you've never lived before. And we got directed to this church, pastored by a man named Ralph Naber, who's still alive. He's in his 90s now. Mm-hmm. And he's the one who wound up teaching me sound doctrine. And then I met Francis Schaeffer, who the great philosopher, theologian, who taught me how to think and process uh, the world's events through a, through a biblical prism. And those three men—Halverson, Neighbor, and uh, and Schaefer—were uh, responsible for putting my my thinking and spiritual life together and uh, creating whatever it is that I am today.
0: The news media uh, is obviously. Not well respected, it hasn't been for, for a long time, it, or trusted, and perhaps is a better word, in general, seen typically as very partisan. Again, that's nothing new, but the country has become so incredibly uh, divided, particularly uh, coming out of the pandemic. Is there any way, in your opinion, to restore that, uh, or to at least build the trust of the news media?
1: Uh, the the short the short version is uh probably not uh, we become so divided now uh, people tune in mostly to what reinforces what they already believe uh the left tunes into MSNBC and sometimes cNN though the ratings are terrible the right tunes into newsmax and fox uh i, I the latest Gallup poll I saw last December I think it was showed that trust in the media generally uh is roughly uh uh down around the level of Congress, which is pretty bad. yeah. And it's the second worst level of trust and belief that uh, the Gallup has ever pulled. So I think, uh, you know, you, if you want uh, real information, truthful information, you have to do your homework. You have to dig it out, you have to go to trusted sources, not just things you believe in, uh, and make sure they're accurate. And just as you can't get in shape by watching an exercise video, you have to go to the gym you can't uh, be properly informed and uh, preserve this wonderful constitutional republic handed down to us if you're not active. And it doesn't mean just showing up on election day. You've got to be active between elections uh, because the left is.
0: Well, Kel, over these last 40 years of your syndicated uh, column, which began uh, obviously in 1984, thousands of columns. I don't know if this is a fair question to ask, but is there a subject or two that you believe has been the most consequential for the country slash even for the church, the most significant watersheds?
1: Yeah, well, the two stand out. The, uh, the case involving uh, same-sex marriage, which the Supreme Court legitimized, I remember writing a column. I said, okay, is there a standard at all anymore? Uh, you know, Mitt Romney had said once uh, after that decision that if things keep going the way they're going, you'll be allowed to marry your dog. And uh, he was widely mocked for that. But now you have a town in Massachusetts that has approved polyamorous relations, three or more people, male, female, any combination, and uh, they're to be treated the same as traditional uh, opposite-sex married uh, couples. So I asked after that ruling, uh, where is the standard now? Is there anything that uh, the court or the culture will say no to? And if it is, if there is, based on what? Certainly not the Constitution and certainly not scripture, which has the answers to everything. And the other columns that I've written over the years, of course, about abortion uh, and standing up for human life and pointing out that uh, there is a pattern. If you disregard or remove the value of human life at one level, this being the unborn, it's a very short step to delegitimizing the value of human life at other forms. And you look at now uh, what's happening in the streets of our major cities, 16 year olds with guns, the homeless population, the drugs, the fentanyl, the open border with thousands upon thousands pouring into the country. We don't know who most of them are. Uh, This is the result of a nation that has forgotten God. Lincoln said that the cause of the Civil War, the number one cause of the Civil War was that we had forgotten God. Moses warned against what happens to people who forget God. Jesus warned about it. Paul warned about it. We've been warned over and over. Solzhenitsyn said the number one reason why the Communist Party, the Soviet Union existed was that the Russian people forgot God. This is not a mystery. This is not something you have to go to school to study. It's obvious throughout history that a nation that forgets God is going to be left to its own devices and will be in decline. It has been that way throughout human history.
0: Kelly, you have had friends from both sides of the political aisle. Uh, you've written about that. You've been friends with uh, the late Senator Ted Kennedy. Do you, do you have a favorite person or two from the other perspective? I know you also wrote a column with Bob Bechtel uh, with USA, uh, USA Today for a number of years where you both went back and forth. Can, can you talk about that a little bit? And how did well, you, how did you do it? Well, Bob is my dearest friend. You know, Jesus
1: dined with publicans and sinners. I like to say he dined with Republicans and sinners just <laughs> to get laugh. But uh, he hung out with uh, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the people who needed him. The people who, uh, you know, as he said, uh, the, the the sick need help, not the not the well. And uh, he meant the spiritually sick, of course. So I think uh, you know we should follow his example. And we, I've been given an opportunity to uh, penetrate. Uh, the news business and to know some very, very talented and, and wonderful people who became great friends. Uh, the, the the nice thing is if you don't judge somebody and, by their uh, belief system, by their worldview and seek to know them. You know, Bob used to say uh, at the end of our dog and pony show when we went out and did our common ground program, uh, sit down with somebody uh, you don't agree with, somebody on the other side or different party and just listen to them listen to them, see how they came to their point of view. And by doing that, you will gain the right to be heard yourself. And you know, when, when Bob and I, who had known each other for years before I had the privilege of leading him to Christ, um, we, we, would, uh, we would sit down and actually talk through things and see some benefit of the other person's point of view, and then come to a uh, conclusion that actually solved a problem and moved the ball forward. The dirty little secret about Washington is that if a politician actually solves a problem, he loses the issue. Mm. This is why Social Security and Medicare have not been reformed. Uh, The Republicans are afraid to touch it because the Democrats will demagogue them, and uh, the Democrats don't want to do it because uh, they got so many people hooked on government. Last uh, December, during open season on Medicare supplement programs, The three words that were in every single one of these ads were free, entitled, and deserve. Now think about that. Free, entitled, and deserve. When I was growing up, I was taught inspiration followed by motivation, followed by perspiration, improves any life. But now we are into this envy, greed, and and entitlement unholy trinity, where if you make $2 and I make one, it's not fair and you owe me. How many times do you hear the left railing against millionaires and billionaires and the wealthy and corporations and all of this stuff. I mean, the wealthy are the ones who uh, hire people, provide jobs, you know. And so we've got half the country paying taxes and the other half living off of it.
0: Kel, going back uh, prior to your syndicated column, 1984, for a time, for a stint, you worked with Jerry Falwell and the moral majority. Uh, and and But later, you and Ed Dobson wrote a book called Blinded by Might, uh, which you expressed concerns about the blending of the interaction of religion and politics. Can you talk about that a little bit? And, and, and do you still share those same concerns today?
1: Well, I do. And I think it's uh, gotten worse. You just look at uh, the evangelical uh, almost worship of Donald Trump. Now, these are some of the people who said about Bill Clinton, uh, that uh, character matters, and that they they thought that he um, disparaged the presidency by his uh, behavior with Monica Lewinsky and other women. And then when it comes to Donald Trump, who uh, has done that and much more, in my view, they seem to forgive all of that. So I call that a power, uh, a, a deal with the devil. Um, I uh, I think it's uh, you know when Jesus said, "My kingdom is not of this world." When standing before Pontius Pilate. That was the most powerful church state statement ever made, unless you go back to King David, who said, put not your trust in princes and kings or in mortal flesh that cannot save. Mm. Uh, so I think a lot of us uh, who are believers and who are conservative in our politics are making the mistake of, um, uh, of focusing too much on Washington and not, on, not enough on the tools that Jesus has given us, uh, which are far more powerful. And uh, what are they? Love your enemies pray for those who persecute you, Uh, visit those in prison, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, not as a social gospel, but as a demonstration of God's love uh, for the body. So their greater need will be addressed, which is uh, spiritual, not economic or political. Mm. Yeah, the subtitle of that book Ed and I wrote uh, was Why the Religious Right Can't Save America. But we've seen this before in prohibition. That didn't work. We've seen it in the... uh, uh, and other movements, it doesn't mean that believers shouldn't be involved in the political and civic life of the country, but that their priorities ought to be in the proper order. Uh, again, uh, our, what are we doing to help Jesus, if, if he needs help, build his kingdom, invest in his kingdom, rather than the temporal kingdom of politicians who never seem to live up to their promises?
0: Is the so-called Christian nationalism of today the the new moral majority
1: i i always like to ask people to define their terms when they use things like christian nationalism what does that mean yeah um you know one of the the positive things about the moral majority and i was only there for a little over four years the only non-journalistic thing i ever did was that uh we got people who had eschewed politics who hadn't voted who hadn't been involved in the civic life of their country uh re-involved and that's a good thing Mm -hmm. even Finally, people like the leftist Catholic prelate Father Robert Dranin, uh acknowledged that conservative religious people had a right to participate in the uh, in the uh, politics of the country. Well, how nice of him! Uh, <laughs> said, but yeah, I got to have the right priority. Yeah, according to you, your priority. But um, so I, I think that uh, you know we have to look at this the way God looks at it, and the way God looks at it. He sits in the heavens and laughs, the psalmist tells us, at our puny attempts to fix ourselves. Our primary problems in America, indeed in the human race, are not economic and political. They're moral and spiritual and have to be addressed on that level. And when they are, you take a look at the 1857 revival with thousands upon thousands of people being converted, even in New York City, after what J. Edward Orr, the author, called a concert of prayer, uh, that's where the real solution is. The outcome of that revival was reduced crime, uh, reduced drunkenness. All the social ills of the day were addressed, and uh, it was fantastic if you read the history of it. That's the route to a better life and to a better nation.
0: Cal, I know I have to let you go here in just a moment, but you've been working, you've been engaged at a point in your life where most have turned to, if you will, more leisurely activities. What inspires you to, to keep going?
1: Well, there's a wonderful line in that uh, movie, Chariots of Fire, which was the Best Picture Award winner in 1981, uh, where uh, the character playing Eric Little says uh, to his sister, Jenny, I believe God made me for a purpose for China as a missionary, but he also made me fast. Mm. And when I run, when I run, I feel his pleasure. To do something, to live in a way that makes you feel God's pleasure is the greatest experience one can have on this earth and that is why what i try to do i don't always do it well Uh, i am a sinner still but pressing on the upward way new heights i'm gaining every day but uh, when i feel god's pleasure for something i've done then that is uh, really the greatest experience a human being can have on this earth
0: Mm. and advice or encouragement for us as believers in being what you've attempted, of course, to be in your career of journalist, salt and light in our spheres of influence.
1: Well, that's right. And salt is a preservative. And uh, I think of something uh, Ted Koppel, the former ABC anchor, once said, he said, truth is not a polite tap on the shoulder. Truth is a howling reproach. Mm. When we water down truth, we have no power. It's like thin gruel. And so I think as believers, we should speak the truth, yes, in love, but, and not sounding uh, more righteous than we should. But uh, truth has a, a great impact. Uh, you know, a lot of churches water down the truth. They don't, they don't preach the cross anymore. They, they want to be inclusive. They want uh, to create strategies to reach people. Well, the greatest strategy is the one Jesus gave us and the gospel which is uh, we are sinners, and we are not in need of reformation, we're in need of redemption. And the only way that comes is through the cross of Christ, repentance, and uh, seeking His forgiveness. Mm.
0: You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, journalist Cal Thomas, author of A Watchman in the Nights, what I've seen over 50 years reporting on America. You can read his columns at calthomas.com. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Douglas Grotheis on some world religions and how they contrast with Christianity. So Buddha pointed towards nirvana
1: and said, here's a path to nirvana. It's hard. It's long. Jesus pointed,
0: in essence, to himself and said, believe on me and you can have eternal life because I am the resurrection and the life. That's tomorrow at the same time, right here on His People. Thanks for listening.